All right, so if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua. That's the sixth book in your Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. As we find ourselves in chapter 2, not going through it at any particular pace. Um, probably just look at chapter 2 tonight. It's a pretty much one subject. Uh, a message I've kind of titled Faith Found in the Desert. Um, and then next week we'll probably look at two chapters because they go together. It's the, the, the fall of Jericho. The, they'll come into the promised land and take that first city and we'll, we'll talk about that. And I'll probably um, uh, bring some uh, pictures of the city and kind of the map and give you guys a little bit, a little better picture of what's going on with that um, as we get into that next week. But tonight, again, Joshua chapter 2, faith found in the desert. And so let's go before the Lord once more and we'll start there. Father, again, we do come before you and ask that you would move as you're so faithful to do by your spirit through your word tonight, Lord, into our hearts. And Lord, we ask that you would do that great work where you can reach down and touch us and speak to us the things that we need to hear. And sometimes we need to be encouraged and lifted up and 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 comforted and loved other times corrected and kind of got on the back on the right track and maybe adjusting our thinking or our passions or our emotions uh you know lord there's just the list is really endless because we're all so different but and in different places but because you're god you're able to reach down and speak to us right where we are and Lord, I know we uh, all need to hear what we hear tonight because you've, well, we hear tonight because you've ordained it, Lord. You, you've recorded your word for us. And uh, Lord, we are always blessed when uh, we read and, and, and hear from and study through your word because um, it's your way of really speaking to us. It's the majority of the time. I mean, you could crack open heaven, you could send angels, you could do any number of things, but I know you just use your word to speak to us so much, Lord, and that's just the way you chose, and so I know that your word will accomplish what you please, and uh, we, we ask that we would receive all that tonight, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week, we kind of did the introduction into Joshua, and if you missed it, again, all the messages are on the, on the website. They're small files. You can download them on a phone or a small device. They don't take long and don't take up much space. I encourage you to keep with us. Um, but remember, we talked about they're entering into the promised land now. Moses has died. He had led them for about, you know, well... Let me count up my head. So 40 years in the wilderness, a couple of years there. You know, 42 years, 43 years, maybe 45 years. I don't know, something around that long, that length of time. Um, and, 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 you know, we, I won't go into all that, but the Lord says, listen, Moses, you're not, pro you're not going into the promised land. You're to appoint Joshua to go into the promised land. He's going to lead the people. He's going to take your spot. So you anoint him, you let the people know, and then I'm going to take you home. And remember, we talked about that. And then we talked about that crossing over the River Jordan, heading into the promised land. It's, um, it's, it's a picture of us not going into heaven. It's a picture of us entering into the spirit-filled Christian life. 
Um, again, there's going to be battles, there's going to be problems, there's going to be setbacks, there's going to be blessings, much like we experience here. But uh, again, God was leading them and called them and entering into taking possession of what he had given them. And um, he has plans for us too. He has given us gifts and abilities to ministries, if you would, to take on those responsibilities. So the Lord told them, hey, listen, uh, the land is yours. Go take it. It's yours. Every place you step, it will be yours. But you have to take it. Um, you, you know, he's not like a mother bird feeding the baby birds. You never see those little National Geographic deals where the birds just kind of, ah, and the mom just barfs into their mouth. I guess it sounds a little bit better when they say it, but you know what I mean? Rodriguez takes the food and the baby. They just kind of sit there in the nest, and, and, and you know, um, the Lord kind of, picked him up miraculously, I guess, and dropped him there. And But, you know, he, he wants us to participate. It just didn't, um, it's all yours. How far do you want to go? How much you want to take? Every place you're going to, every place you step will be yours. How many steps are you going to take? Two, five, ten, a hundred, a thousand, a million? Um, and again, a great picture of our Christian um, walk. How deep do you want to Go in your relationship with the Lord. And he'll, he won't take you one step further than you want to go. If you say this is it, you know, he doesn't pull you by the ear. Now you're going to come a little step farther, you know. But he'll take you as far as you want to go. And um, the question always is, how much land do we want? How, how much of him do we want? How much do we want to experience? And that was a great picture that we talked about uh, last time as an introduction to this. But tonight in chapter 2 now, the, the scene's going to focus really off the, the people getting ready to come into the land because they won't come until, until next week when we get to that those chapters. But we're going to now kind of shift to what's going on in the land as a, little, as a matter of fact. And we're really going to focus on one woman in particular. And it's, it's you know, um, I think it's one of the more remarkable stories in the Bible. Uh, this woman that we'll talk about tonight, her name is Rahab. Uh, not only does she have a prominent position here, but she's also mentioned three times in the New Testament. And so um, as a great example. And so we'll look at this woman Rahab tonight as we go through chapter two. So let's look, if you would, follow along in verse one of Joshua chapter two. And it says, now Joshua, the son of Nun, that didn't mean he didn't have parents, by the way. <laughs> not N-O-N-E, but N-U-N, sorry. A little funny there. You like that, Mark? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, sent out two men from, a, from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So now, they're right up against the border of the Promised Land. Uh, really, remember, Joshua had the uh, command last week to be strong, uh, be of good courage. I'm going to give you this. Joshua, you know, obviously repeated it a number of times because Joshua needed to hear that. He probably was fearful, and he was probably a little timid, probably wasn't, you know, big deal. He was depending on Moses for years, but, you know, now I'm sure the Lord repeated that for a good reason. And so, you know, the Lord says, now it's time to move out. And remember, he sent the messengers throughout the, the camp in three days, hey, we're going to take off. But before they actually go into the land, he decides to spend, send, I should say, a couple of spies in ahead to look at the land, especially Jericho, which would be the first city that they would they would come across. 
Now, um, out of anybody of the three million people or thereabouts of the Jews that were ready to go in or the Hebrew slaves or whatever you want to call them, you know, Israelites, you figure this would be the last guy to want to send spies into the land. Because you remember, you might recall his story. Remember, uh, 40 years earlier, a little bit more than 40 years earlier, they had come up to this to not the exact same spot, but it was pretty close. And they were ready to go into the promised land. And Moses had this idea of let's send in 12 guys to look at the whole land. And they were gone for 40 days and they came back. And you remember the story. All of them said it was beautiful, wonderful, the best place it ever been. Here's some sample of the fruit. I mean, the grapes are this big. Uh, I mean, the land is incredible. It's everything the Lord said. But 10 of them said, uh, oh, all of them said, yeah, and there's high fences, big walls, big armies, big guys, and a lot of obstacles. And 10 of them said, because of those obstacles, there's no way we can take this land. And the other two said, yeah, those are obstacles are all there and the land's beautiful and they're there, but our God is greater than those obstacles and those things because he's called us to go in there. And remember, the 10 uh, convinced the rest of the people that they said, no way we're going to do that. And the two, you know, and the two, one of them being Joshua, uh, you know, was like, no, 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 the Lord's going to give us. And, and the Lord said, listen, if you're not going to enter in, in faith, you're not going to enter in at all. And that's where they did this 40-year death march in the circle. He goes, all right, if you guys don't want to go in, you guys can chase your tail for 40 years. And when you guys are all finally gone and dead, then your children, well, I'll give that to them. And that's exactly what happened. Now, you figure because of that experience, Joshua would be a little hesitant to want to send spies. That didn't go very well last time. As a matter of fact, I ate up 40 years of my life wandering. and But yet he chose to do that anyway. And... You know, maybe he sent two because two came back with a good report. So maybe if I send two, it doesn't tell us. And anything I would tell you would just be kind of the way I read it. And it's, it doesn't tell us why he was thinking it or why he did it or why he picked the number two. But one thing we'll see is how God's going to use that. So he sends these two guys out. And um, so they went, it says at the end of verse one there, and they came to a house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged, it, and lodged there. Now, so when they get into town, uh, in this town of Jericho, they stay at a place of anonymity, right? I mean, you go to a house of prostitution and, uh, you know, they don't check your names and your ID. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a place nobody really asks any questions like that. Um, which is probably why they went there. Uh, you know, nobody's really, people going in and out, guys going in and out is probably something that was very common. And so, um, you know, doesn't tell us why they went there, but that seems to uh, be a pretty good idea. Now, um, again, we see the hand of the Lord moving through all this because, um and it's, again, important was we talk about Rahab to remember this one thing is she's a prostitute, okay? I mean, there's no painting it up. There's no glossing it over. There's no any of that stuff. I mean, the Bible just tells it how it is. She's a prostitute, and it seems like she runs this particular house of prostitution, or maybe it's just her. It doesn't really tell us, but we know she is a prostitute. Keep that in mind. This is a woman now, I told you already, 
is spoken very well of uh, in the New Testament three times. I mean, how many other people, of all the people mentioned in the Old Testament, you know, how many of them are mentioned in the New Testament? And three times. So, again, uh, you know, try not to get ahead of myself, but it just shows that there's nobody beyond the reach of the Lord. Amen? doesn't matter what you did last night, last week, last year, last month. Man, you, you know, we're all, we're all a bunch of sinners saved by grace. You know, none, none of us are any better than anybody else, and nobody's too far gone. We always need to remember that. But she's a prostitute, and these guys are probably just looking for a, a low place to hang out and to... Um, be able to probably stay or just blend in or hear the talk of the town. It doesn't say why they went there, but if they had to stay at a place, that probably was one they wouldn't be recognized, I would think. So they're there, verse 2, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Now, somehow the king gets word that these guys in town and, uh, are in town and they know where they came from. Now, this isn't, um, uh, it doesn't tell us how he found out or, uh, you know, any, any of these details how he knew that or how long they'd even been there. Uh, when the messengers came, you know, it could have been there a very short period of time. Uh, it, it doesn't tell us, but it seems like pretty much after, um, you know, they got there, the word went out and got word to the king. Hey, there's some guys. And, you know, as we'll see in a little bit, they were they were they knew that the Israelites were, you know, ready to come into the land. And so they were probably on the lookout and maybe somebody followed them up there and, you know, sent word to the king and he sent his you know, troops out there or somebody to, to get these guys out of the house there. Now, keep this in your mind. She's, she's just has a couple guys in the house and they, they couldn't have been there for very long. And even if they were there for a few hours or whatever it was, they weren't there very long. But now, remember, she's a resident of the city and the king has issued an order probably with soldiers or troops and somebody of significance there to bring these guys out of her, her house. Now, something I'll, I'll probably mention to us, just as a side note, as we're going through the book of Joshua, when they're going to the land, remember, they're going to take over all these little, um, these, the, they'll, they'll talk about the king of this guy and the king of that guy. And, and basically, in that day and age, and and it still is in that way in some places today, but mostly up until the last, you know, I, I, I don't know, hundred, few hundred years, even before that, it wasn't like that. There was a lot of city-states. In other words, picture it this way. Picture the promised land as ca the county of Santa Cruz, okay? They were going into the promised land, and it, the part they took over wasn't that much bigger than our whole county, just for a reference of land size. And so when they cross the Pajaro River coming in, does that give you just, just some picture in here? The first city they hit is Watsonville, Jericho. Okay, and just pick it. Now, now again, so Watsonville was his own little kingdom. 
Now, a city-state means it's a city, really, but it acts like a state, like a, a, its own country. So it would have its own king. Now, these cities um, of importance that would have a king would usually have a wall around them and have their own small military. And usually it just encompassed, you know, one city with one fort and then the land around where crops and livestock were taken care of and all that. And then, uh, and then sometimes they included other small small towns. But then, you know, there would be that guy, and picture that as Jericho. And then the next one, let's say, is, you know, uh, the next one is uh, Freedom, let's say, or Coralitas or something. Because AI, the next little town, is going to be really small. And they had their own little deal going. And then there was Aptos, and then there was Capitola, and then Santa Cruz was, was pretty big. Um, and, and then, you know, Scotts Valley and Davenport and whatever little towns I left out there. So each one would have kind of its own uh, ruler and its own city with its own kind of defense. And so when they go in and take over these things, now some of them were bigger than others, but some of them were, were, were pretty small. And probably none of them were, you know, uh, most of them, you know, were, were probably the size of Watsonville as far as population-wise, not, not as big and land-wise because obviously they couldn't make a wall around a city something like this big. But, but you get the idea. So when they come in, that's what they're doing. Now, some of these guys will, will team up together. Hey, this king will get this king, and these three or four or five guys will get together and we'll attack them. We'll see that. But when, when, we, when we read this, for the most part, you can kind of picture it like that. That's what they, um, what they were doing. And so this one king now, she lives in the city. Back to our story here. She's uh, you know, under his authority, he could probably say and put you to death if he didn't like your hairstyle or whatever. Okay, they have that kind of authority there. Now, he's asking, keep this in mind, she's a nobody. By all, I think everyone would agree, she would be on the very low end of society. And the king is asking, and not even asking, that's probably not the right way. He's demanding that he knows the two guys are in there. I want them out right now. Now, I don't know about you, but you've you got to think there's all this pressure behind this woman with this request. And, um, you know, she's, she, this is what she does. Keep that in mind. She's nobody, and she's got the king and some soldiers and some pretty important people at the door asking for them. And what does she do? Well, verse 4 says, then the woman took the two men and hid them. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of picture this as a movie. And, and, you know, I don't know if this helps you out or not. Again, just kind of picture it. You know, here's, uh, I don't know, half a dozen, a dozen soldiers, somebody of importance from the, from the king, maybe two or three people. They, they, they go up to this place, this house. Yeah, and I don't even know what, if you knock on the door of a prostitute's out or she went in, I, I don't know what they did. They see her, uh, you know, or he, she hears them asking for these two guys, or she's in an, a, another room and they yell to her, hey, or they yell through the door, hey, we want those two guys that came into the city. Uh, we know they're here to spy out the land. We know they're from the Israelites, and we want them right now. I mean, this is somebody that is the law. Um, you, you know, it, it has this great power. Uh, you, she doesn't know these guys. She might have known them for an hour or two or five, maybe not even that, maybe 10 minutes. But whether she recognized them when they came in or not, she knows who they are now. And her first thing that she does is she hides them. 
Now, I don't know how you picture that in your mind, but I kind of, you know, you know, what does she do? Get somebody to stall him out there? I mean, they're asking her. I mean, she, she will see that she has to go out, have to go out the window and kind of hide on a, on a, on a part of a roof that she's drying some, um, you know, branches and some um, grain on, you know. But she, she's, the first thing she does, without even thinking, is she hides them. And, you know, now, and, and picture the guys. I mean, she doesn't know what they're, what she's going to do, right? They hear, she, they're there too. They hear the knock. They hear the voices or they hear them in the next room coming in at the place. And they're asking this. Imagine those poor guys. They're probably like, oh, we're dead. They busted us. They caught us. Man, we're, we're goners for sure. And, and the next thing you know, here's this woman that runs this place is grabbing him, get out the window, get get into those flax, hide yourself, get in there. Yeah, I'll be right there. I don't know what she's saying, but you know, I can imagine you could make a whole movie scene out of this whole thing. It would probably be pretty pretty interesting. Because they're terrified. She's got this enormous pressure and in decision, she's like, I'm gonna grab them and hide them. And then all in the same breath, it, you know, it doesn't slow down here in the story. So she says to him, so she hides him, and so she says to him, at the rest of verse four, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they are, where they were from. Okay, probably true. You know, she gets guys in there all the time. Uh, again, not asking for IDs, not checking passports. You know, not worried about that kind of stuff. Uh, but um, you know, it's probably very true. And although she put it together very fast, right? Whether it was from the knock on the door when they said that, or you know, something clicked, but, you know, she knew who they were, you know, and um, uh, at, at some point, I don't know when it clicked, when they said it to her, oh, yeah, those are the guys, and then she hid them, and, uh, but now, the first thing she says, yes, they're here, but I don't know where they're from, okay, probably true, and then, verse 5, she goes on, uh, and it happened, as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out, where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for they may, for you may overtake them. And verse 6 tells us, But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the first thing she says, I, I don't really know where they're from, and maybe at first she didn't know where they're from, but certainly from verse 5, and, and, and what she tells them is a big, fat, lie. I mean, there were, she told them big fat lie. Now, again, remember, let's put this all in perspective. You know, Rahab is answering the messengers of the king along with soldiers or their, what we say, maybe their police force kind of a deal out there. And, um, and you know, the guys have power over life and death. And, you know, she tells them instantly, hey, you know, they took off um, they got out of here right before dark. You guys locked up the gates. Um, you know, if you check that place out by the river, I bet you that's where. Uh, you know, uh, I bet you that's where they went off to. But if you hurry, you can catch them. Now, this brings up a question in everybody's mind. Usually, I should say, it usually brings up this. You know, um, uh, what's going on here? She's lying in her mind. Her lie was in order to protect the lives of these two spies. Now, it's not clear to us 
at this point in the story, why in the world she would even risk her life or be in, involved in all this uh, for two people that she doesn't even know and for, for people that, you know, up to this point, we're not getting any of that information yet. But she thinks in her mind, I think pretty clearly, and we'll see that as the story plays out, that she was willing to tell these lies to in order to protect their lives. So the next question usually flows out of people's minds. So, so is lying okay because it was for good? Um, you know, is, it, is lying maybe not such a bad sin uh, as compared to maybe some others? Or some people, you know, maybe want to ask the question, well, it's okay to tell white lies, whatever a white lie is, by the way, uh, you know, or, you know, people think that, you know, if it, it's kind of that old saying, you know, the, the, the ends justifies the means. So in other words, if it's going to turn out for a good ending, then it justifies however you get to that good ending, right? The ends justifies the means. So in other words, as long as you're heading in a good direction, as long as whatever it, whatever the end result will be good, however you get there doesn't really matter. So if you need to lie, this and that, it's okay because the end is a good thing or the result or the goal is something good or noble or something. That's what people think all the time. So is, is that true here? It, she's protecting in her own mind two people's lives and, and there's a reason for it as we'll read in a little bit. So does that make it okay? Well, in answer to those questions, I think, first of all, the easiest way to look at that whole thing is this. Let's face it. She's a prostitute. So really, what's lying? <laughs> okay, right? She's already a prostitute. So what's lying you know, when you compare it to her whole life, right? Just on the face value of it, you know, you probably wouldn't expect much more out of her, right? But again, I think it's important um, to understand what the Bible does teach about lying because the Bible teaches very clearly about lying. Lying is always wrong. There, there's, there, lying is not right. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's talked about many times in the Bible. There isn't any good reason uh, or justification for lying. As a matter of fact, um, Proverbs um, chapter 6, verse 19, and a few verses after that, or verse 16 through 19, I should say, of chapter 6 of Proverbs, um, there's a proverb says, you know, there's, there's, there's six things, that, you know, the Lord hates. No, there's seven things the Lord detests. That, that's how it kind of goes in the NIV. And, and one of those things is a lying tongue. So it's pretty clear in Scripture, uh, you know, that the Lord hates and detests a lying tongue. So that pretty much sums it up right there. Now there's many verses in the New Testament as well that talk about not lying and how wrong it is and sinful it is. So let's make sure, you know, whenever we come up to things like that in Scripture, we always have to take what all of Scripture says. And again, she's a prostitute, doesn't know the Lord at all. We'll see some faith come out of her. Yes, she's spoken well of in, in I'm not discounting any of that, but again, it doesn't justify why she did what she did, but she's already a prostitute. I mean, we're not expecting uh, you know, her uh, to know all these things at this point. 
Um, but again, uh, the Bible says so much. You know what I'm really surprised in? Um, it's been really coming up frequently in, in my reading through the Bible, too, is um, you know how much the Lord really puts into and counts, and we'll see that in, in the coming weeks as well here in the book of Joshua, how, how much he places um, our word. If you make a commitment, you make a promise, you, you say something, um, man, there's so many scriptures of how the Lord wants us to honor that. If we say we're going to do something or not do something or do this or not do this or whatever, that we are people of our word. Man, it's just repeated over and over, even if it's to our harm because we made a commitment or a promise or we said something and it may well, oh boy, but if I do that, you know, it's really going to cost me. I told you I'd sell you the car for five grand, but I just got somebody over here said 6,500. That's 1,500 bucks. Can't be leaving that on the table, right? You, you know? Oh, no, I, I promised I'd sell it to you for five. And the Lord honors that. There's much said as well about keeping our word too. So let's just make that very clear. That's what the Bible teaches. So she tells them that they went a different way, even though she had hidden them. And let's look back to our story here, verse 7. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. So they listened to her and headed out towards the swampy lands by the river there. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate of the city, that is. Now before, they lay, now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men. So, again, you know, when things are kind of, the people left, okay, they went, okay, we're headed, okay, guys, let's go, let's get out there. So they head out there, they're moving out towards the forums, they're looking for them everywhere, they shut the gate behind them, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, her heart, went from 250 beats per minute through all this whole thing, you know, a few hours later, she's down to 150 beats per minute, you know, and finally she goes out to the guys there and, and, uh, and, and, and goes out and talks to these guys. Now listen to this wonderful profession of faith here in verse 9. So she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Now, first thing is she uses the name. You notice when the Bible says capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's actually the name of the Lord. When the Lord said, uh, Moses way back in Exodus chapter 3 says, what's your name? When you tell me to go to the people in Egypt, they're going to ask your name, say that I am that I am. And again, some people take that um, to be, they'll use the name Yahweh or Jehovah. Maybe you've heard that. That's the name of the Lord. So when you see that all in capitals, it's not a, a title like capital L-O-R-D, which is a title. You're the Lord. That's a title. This is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the name of the Lord. So that would be spelled out in the original language as, and again, people don't know exactly how to pronounce it. It could be Yahweh or Jehovah, or you'd say Yehovah, really. And um, so the reason I even say that is because she, living in this Canaanite city, knows the name of the Lord. And 
again, remember, she's not familiar with the Lord at all other than from what she's heard from clients, right? <laughs> Excuse me, or <clears throat> travelers or clients or <clears throat> talking to neighbors or whatever. But she says this wonderful provision that, hey, I know the Lord's here, and uh, I know he's going to give you the land. We're all afraid, and uh, you know we're faint-hearted because of you. Now, again, picture yourself as the spies, because you're not exactly sure what's going on. This woman just kind of rushed you out. You heard that they wanted to arrest you. She's hiding you. You probably feel okay about that. But I can imagine they're taking a pretty few big sighs of relief here. You know, and uh, I can imagine at, at some point pretty quickly after that, you know, this wonderful testimony in their heart of, wow, Lord, you're going before us. You're, you're, you're taking care of all this. Not only are you taking care of me in this foreign city, but your name and who you are and, and your fame and the work that you've promised us is not just something I know. But what you promised to do in giving the land and, and preparing the land for us, <coughs> excuse me, you, you, these people know that. Oh, thanks. Sorry, I was kind of choking here. Excuse me for a minute. Thanks, Sonny. So, uh, again, re- remember, uh, that had to just amaze them. Lord, you're, you're taking care of everything. You know, sometimes we know the Lord says that, and he's made promises. He's taking care of this. You're going to do this. She's going to go there. You're going to do this. And we, we know all that. But, you know, sometimes when we just see it in action, there's just some great thing that goes through our hearts. Wow, Lord, you're, you're, you're taking care of us. Remember, the people are waiting on the other side of Jordan. They, they couldn't hear. They couldn't see what the Lord was doing in the land. But he was working. That's what he does in our lives as well. Just remember that. Sometimes we, we can't see it going on. We can't see. We keep thinking, you know, why isn't this person giving their lives to the Lord? You know, why is this not changing? Why isn't this going on? It seems like, you know, there's so many obstacles for this and that going on and this getting repaired and this taken care of and this thing mending. And But just like they couldn't hear or see what the Lord was doing into the place that he was going to take them, yet he was working. He does the same thing in our lives as well. Don't forget that. He loves you. He knows the plan. He sees the things. He knows the obstacles. He knows, and he's taking. He's working. He's working. We need to remember that, and we can take hope in that. Because sometimes, you know, in our own mind, I don't know about you. I can't speak for you, I guess. But for me, it's like, ah, oh, Lord, how's this ever going to work out? I just, I can't ever figure out how it's going to work out. But when I say that, you know, then the very next breath has to be, but thankfully it's not up to me. I'm not God. I don't have to work it all out. You do. You're God. I just got to believe you. I just got to trust that you are going to say what you say you're going to do. And, you know, sometimes we can go through the emotional roller coaster or we can kind of sit back and, and in faith and say, Lord, I don't see how any of this is going to work out, but I know you're going ahead and I know you're working, even though I can't see it or I can't hear it. And there was about 3 million people sitting on the other side of that river that had really no clue of this, that all of a sudden these guys get this revelation that, wow, Lord, you've got it all working out. Well, so she says that, and then let's continue on what she says. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, 
and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites uh, who were uh, on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, who you utterly destroyed. So she says, I know that, you know, the Lord's going to give you this land, which is pretty amazing. Anyway, she's a prostitute in a city, right? And, and she knows this, that she, in, in faith, she knows that the Lord's going to give him the land. And she said, I, and one of the reasons I know is because I heard, now she wasn't there, right? I heard that 40 years ago, now chances are that she's not even 40 years old, 40 years ago, I heard that the Lord dried up the, the Red Sea where you guys can cross. And, and then more recently, I heard how the Lord gave you victory over these two larger, stronger kingdoms on the other side of the river where they were right then. Let me just remind us of something here. Everybody in that community for sure, in that area for sure, knew all these facts. She didn't have some insight to this that nobody else had. Everybody knew these things because she said, we have heard this. We heard what you've done. We've heard all these things. Uh, you know, uh, again, they just didn't put anything to action. They lacked faith. She, on the other hand, believes and in faith realized that, as we'll see here in a minute, that this is different. She's going to react different than everybody else. And it says in verse 11, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. That means everybody, including hers. And neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Again, this incredible profession of faith here. Everybody had that information. They all knew that he was over there. The cities were panicked. The people around the communities, the other cities had already been talking about. Everybody knew what was going on here. They had heard what had happened 40 years ago. They had heard what happened not that long ago on the other side of the river with these powerful kingdoms. They heard that they were going to come into the land. Everybody knew that. Yet she was the only one to believe. She said, your God is the only God. And we know they worshiped a lot of gods over there. They had gods for everything. There was gods for this and that. And there was a lot of religious practices going on where she was. Trust me. But she knew there was something different. She knew there was something different going on here. And she said, I know yours is the only true God. And, and this is the faith. Remember, these are people coming out of slavery out of Egypt, not trained soldiers, not battle-hardened, tested people. They, they, they don't have high walls and big cities to defend themselves. Because the, the, the logical thing is, well, they're coming over, but let's face it, we got this walls, we got gates, we have bars, we have soldiers, you know, we have the trained army. You know, most people's natural thought would be, we have the advantage. But again, she has this incredible profession of faith. Remember who she is. She's a prostitute. And yet, 
the Lord directed these guys that she was in that place, that she might make that decision, that the opportunity for her to receive and to hear and to be a part, as we'll see as the story unfolds in a little bit longer, but, you know, right there so that she could have this great profession of faith. And again, I just want to take a moment here, you know, no matter what her background or sin or messed up life, it doesn't matter. God turns it all around and makes it beautiful because that's his promise. And, you know, as we, uh, again, uh, as we go through these, we're going to go through the book of Joshua. There's a lot of conquests. There's a lot of war, and it's going to get ugly. There's going to be a lot of battles. There's going to be a lot of blood spilled. It's going to, it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, pretty raw, if I could put it that way. And as we go through, we might think God is being tough on these people. But, um, and, and, and he is. But we, we need to step back and remember that if, if there's some that want to express some faith, he is willing to seek them out and bring them in, as he will with Rahab. Um, Rahab, uh, again, is... Uh, only of uh, two women that make it into Hebrews chapter 11. Now, if you're not familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, that's the, the great chapter of people of great faith in the Bible. If you want to know who had great faith in the Bible, you look to Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament. It's called the Hall of, of Faith or the Hall of People with you know, uh, of Great Fame. The, the other woman that makes that list, by the way, is Sarah, who is the wife of Abraham, um, and, and Rahab is the other one. Now, Sarah was a very godly woman. She was a founder, if you would, of that whole Hebrew race, and God used her um, to bring Isaac into the world in, in a very miraculous way. You might remember that whole story. Um, you compare her with Rahab. Rahab was an ungodly Gentile, if you would, who worshipped pagan gods and sold her body for money. Now, humanly speaking, Sarah and Rahab would have nothing in common. I mean, they seem to be two opposite ends of the spectrum. But from God's point of view, Sarah and Rahab share the most important thing in life. And that was they had exercised saving faith in the one and true living God. They both were great exercisers of their faith. And therefore, God chose to record their lives and their actions for all the world to know. She was considered a woman of great faith. And so the Lord, somebody wants to believe. It doesn't matter, you know, if they're in some horrific apartment off of uh, Riverside over here by the levee or whatever on Pajaro on the other side where, you know, some of those places are pretty hairy. You know, you've been around those things, man. And you think, you see these little kids running out there and you're like, oh, Lord, how can you spare them from the life of this and that and all the things they're exposed to? Or, you, you know, you know, you go to different places and read about them and and, you know, our God is bigger than all that stuff. We need to remember that. And, um, you know, he, he is the one drawing people to him. He constantly is doing that, giving everybody an opportunity. It doesn't matter where they've been or what they've done. And then Rahab gets another honorable mention in James chapter 2. 
And, and James uses her as an example. He says, listen, here's somebody that put their faith into action. Rahab. This woman just didn't believe. She, that belief, that faith caused her to act, right? And, and, and she's given credit for that. And finally, and maybe to me, maybe to you as well, the most shocking place that Rahab shows up in the New Testament is in the lineage of Jesus. She is found in Matthew chapter 1. When you trace back the line of, uh, of Joseph, you know, tracing down the family history of Jesus, she's in that line. You know, coming through Joseph, who would raise Jesus, now obviously immaculate accepted, right? But, but still, that line, trace back that heritage, she's put in there. Now, I don't know about you, um, Ethan, my son's been bugging me for, you know, to do one of those... Um, 23andMe genetic deals and all that kind of stuff. And um, my cousin, my cousins, his cousins, my nieces, and I just did a bunch of them for Christmas. And, and on my, now you have to know on my, on my, uh, my sister, she's um, six foot tall, blonde hair, blue eyes. She's two years older than I am, so she's 58. Um, she still has solid blonde hair. Uh, she's one of those um, people that doesn't gray. Anyway. And, and she's six foot, and, and so, and her husband, um, and she gets that mostly from my dad's side. I, I take more from my mom's side. But anyway, so she's blonde, blue, and fair. And then her husband, they're from like, you know, Sweden, Norway up there. He's like six four. And, and, and so my nieces are literally blonde and blue-eyed as they come. As a matter of fact, my youngest one, her name is Emma, she, she was, you know, her hair was all so blonde, it was almost white. You ever see those kids with their hair so blonde, it's almost white? So anyway, they, she did the 23andMe DNA test, and it came back that she is 19% North African. <laughs> that was hilarious. And the reason I say that is because, I don't know why I said that now. I was going to go somewhere with that. Oh, oh, I know where I'm going with that. And then we were kind of laughing about that. And then Anastasia had to do this project for school, chasing your ancestors. And so we were looking at our ancestors. And, and uh, you know, they wanted to know if we had any interesting, you know, people in your family line. And, and I was thinking, right, if you, if you had to tell somebody your family line or genetics or where you came from, I mean, you, you know, there's like, you know, you have some, some Theos or some, you know, uh, primos or something that, you know, you don't want anybody, I'm not really related to them, you know. I don't, if I had to tell you who my family's from, I'd kind of tell you these people's name, but these people I'd kind of leave out of that. I wouldn't kind of leave that, that information out or whatever. And, and uh, you know, that's what you would do if you were editing this beautiful genealogy and you wanted to say, oh, yes, look who I'm from and look what I represent and look who my family tree goes. And yet in the line of our Savior, Rahab shows up. Pretty amazing the work God does and can do in a person's life. And uh, again, just a, a picture of this in this short little section right here. And, uh, and she's not done. She's professing her faith, but it doesn't end there. Let's, let's read on the next couple of verses. Verse 12, now therefore I, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house. And give me a, a, a true token and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all that I have and all that they have 
and deliver our lives from death. You can hear it in Rahab's heart and in her voice. She knows, even though they have high walls, great defenses, and and an army, that they're going to be defeated. And so she asks not only for mercy for herself, but also for her family as well. Because uh, of the faith of one person in a family, you know, everybody else in the family has that great opportunity for salvation. Kind of reminds me of that Philippian jailer in the book of Acts, which we'll get to on Sunday mornings in the near future. And, And, you know, he comes to know the Lord, and then he invites Paul to preach in there, and and then, you know, they all get baptized. Um, Man, it's amazing what the Lord will do when he calls somebody to him out of a family, and they go back, even though she had a tough task. I mean, really, what does her family think of her? I mean, does she have a pretty good reputation? Probably not with her family. She was probably one of those that, you know, you know, that's my, you know, whatever, and I don't really talk about her because she's a prostitute. And yet, you know, sometimes we think oh, our family's not going to receive what we have to say because of some stuff that we've done. Well, you and I have the same opportunity with our families and loved ones to share the good news and to cover them and pray for them and witness to them and live for Jesus and what a great effect that has and we see that in the heart of Rahab as well so she pours all that out and then here's the response verse 14 so the men answer her our lives for yours if none of you tell this business of ours and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you Then she let them down by a rope through a window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. Now, again, you know, that seems like another problem, because, you know, next time, if you've read ahead and you know the story of Jericho, what happens to the walls? They come a-tumbling down, and she lived on the wall. So I always picture this, when the walls, you know, went down, there was just like one little section there, and that was Rahab's house. That probably wouldn't cool to look at. Everything falls down, but where she lives. Or the Lord lowers it to the ground. I don't know how it all worked out, but it was a probably pretty cool thing to see. Now, she tells them, uh, verse 16, And she said to them, Get up to the mountain, lest your pursuers meet you. Hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. And afterwards you may go your way. And if you go outside the mountains of Jericho, there's some hills that have a lot of caves. So it was a great place to hide and so when the men said to her we will be blameless of this oath of yours which we which you have made us swear unless we come into the land you are to bind uh, I'm sorry you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you bring your father your mother your brothers and all your family's household into your home So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is uh, is with you in your house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on them. And if you tell us this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which uh, free from your oath, which you have made us swear. Verse twenty-one. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound a scarlet cord 
in the window. So again, not only did she believe, but her faith was evident by what she did. She said, listen, we'll spare you. You put them in the house when we come to take over the land. And, you know, we'll keep our word. They got to be in there. And, and you, uh, as long as you bind this scarlet or this red cord to your house. Now, again, there's some great pictures of that that we know from the, from the Bible. Remember the Passover that we just read about in, not too long ago in Exodus. Remember, they were applying, they were to stay in their houses and they were to apply the blood to the doorposts, not to go out. And again, then the, you know, the, the death angel would pass over them. And it's a great picture of that. And again, so it is. I, uh, you know, we see that picture of this, you know, the red cord around the window here and in faith she hangs it up now it seems very silly how in the world could this possibly do any good to anybody it's kind of like you know again people think how could believing in jesus i mean if i just receive what he did on the cross i I just believe that he paid for my sins that's all there's to it you know i'm too smart for that that's too simple only simple people can you know believe such simple things but it's those simple acts of faith that the Lord knows from our heart that he respects and receives and accepts. That's why those little kids in the back can hear about Jesus and receive him. They can, doesn't matter. It, it's simple faith. You don't have to have some PhD, you know, and study in some religious circles and climb some mountain, travel through valleys to, you know, get some religious truth that nobody else you know, has. And you guys hear about Stephen Hawking dying and all that. And Anyway, I won't go there, but... <laughs> anyway, I better not go there. My temptation is to talk about that, but I won't. Let's back on track here. But again, the Lord is uh, taking her out from this huge, unbelieving city. Uh, she's the one in faith, but he makes sure that she is going to be safe. And so, verse 22, And they departed and went to the mountains and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers sought them all the way along, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountains and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that, they, all that had befallen them. So they head back after three days. The coast is clear. They go back to the camp and they report all that had happened. And finally in verse 24, and they said to Joshua, truly the Lord delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. And so as a result, the people, and particularly Joshua here, the leader, you know, they're encouraged that, Lord, you're working. I sent out two spies because maybe I was a little afraid. I wasn't really sure what we're going to run up against. I, you know, I, I, you know, this, I, this is a I, I'm trusting you with my life, with everything, and and then to have the news come back as Lord, you've prepared. Look at, they're all afraid because they know how great you are, and you know, look at you even pull one woman and her family out of this group of how many thousands or tens of thousands lived there or whatever because there was a person of faith and didn't matter what her background was you didn't pull out the king or some noble person or some muckety muck didn't matter and 
again, there was this great uh, encouragement, I imagine, that went throughout the, the hearts of all the people of how great God was, and he was keeping his word, and he was working even when they couldn't see or couldn't hear it. And the same is true with us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this um, great story of faith in the desert, Lord, that you, um, again, it just shows us that nobody's gone too far, nobody's sunk too low, nobody's done so many things that, Lord, you aren't willing to go and reach out um, and, and, and draw them to you and, and, and deliver them out of all that into well, what would be an amazing life, it seems like, Lord, how you used her in genealogies and as an example, and just um, great things, Father. And the same is true in our day and age as well with us. A simple faith, Lord. Simple childlike faith. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for that. And I, I pray for anybody in here tonight, Lord, that has never taken and never received Maybe he's heard and, and, and knows all the things and maybe he's even grown up in religious circles and churches and gone to Mass every Sunday or whatever those things are, Lord, and they've never really simply received your salvation and your gift that, Lord, you require that everyone make that decision. It's not something, a, a decision that can't be made uh, from somebody else, it can't be handed down through a family, it can't come through a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or a sister or a brother or a son or a daughter. It has to be on their own. Lord, even in the simplest of faith, with the littlest of knowledge, I, I kind of think of the thief on the cross, Lord, who, who you know, it, it didn't saw Jesus hanging there. And, and at that moment, received, believed, and, and trusted that he was going into a kingdom, while even the disciples who, who should have known better thought that was the end, and yet here's this one dying next to him that asked Jesus when he came into his kingdom, he knew his kingdom wasn't here, but he knew it was coming and wanted to be a part of it, and Lord, you let him come in. The same is true with everybody here as well. It's a matter of simple of asking and receiving. And Lord, you'll come in and do great and wonderful things. As those of us that have done that know. And Father, I pray for those that we know that, Lord. May we continue to walk in faith. May we continue to be encouraged that you're working. Even though we can't see or hear what's going on, you're doing that great work because you're a great and awesome God. You love people, and you certainly love us, your children. So, Lord, may we take courage in that and strength, much as Joshua did the same, Lord. We thank you for these encouraging words, Lord, and these reminders, for we ask these things in Jesus' name.